0: Hey guys, welcome to the Noel Castler podcast, episode twenty-eight. I'm back here with my main man Jimmy Kennedy. He's got his kind of seventies lead guitar <laughs> player hair going today, ladies. You're gonna dig this. Yeah, What's up? wild man Jimmy in the house today. How you doing? Jimmy?
1: <laughs> We've uh, we switched roles on the hairstyle, man. You got the slick back style. I got the Jimmy kennedy experience you know jimmy hendrix experience kind of uh hairstyle going on but exactly. you know it looks
0: good we're both tv ready that's what's important yeah mitch mitchell up in the house man and i got <laughs> i got my new uh noel castler podcast t-shirt on for anybody who oh and jimmy's got there we go so if you guys want some yeah. swag we're gonna set up a uh, thing on my website soon And if you come to a show, I have t-shirts for you. And speaking of that, I have a show coming up this week. I'll mention it later, but it's in Annapolis, Maryland on Thursday night, September 16th. And I hope to see some of you guys there. If you're listening, it'll be a good time. So let's get into it. Another week, you know, a bunch of madness again in this country. I don't want to get as angry as I usually do, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to feel like we're making progress, you know, but we did make some progress this week. Let's, you know, let's start on a positive note. I think Biden's, you know, sort of vaccine man mandates and putting in standards for employers that have more than a hundred employees and stuff and, you know, cities and venues, and anybody who can make a difference at this point has to pitch in and make a difference. It's not your right to make somebody else sick, you know, and I think that's a step in the right direction I think it's it's obviously it's throwing gasoline on the fire of right wing rhetoric but it's not like they wouldn't be finding something to scream about or they weren't screaming about it anyway you know and it also helps sort of bring out into the light the real kooks you know they're all kooks but the ones that were jumping to say this is un-American and anti-freedom you know your little cartoon character danny crenshaw's who's only in congress because he's got a gerrymandered district around houston and pretends to be a cosplay warrior in commercials where he's attacking democrats jumping out of an airplane right he doesn't want to like help his constituents in texas that have full icus dying of covid you know what i'm saying Like when you're Mm -hmm. jumping out of an airplane, you got something on your back called a parachute. That's to save your life. You know, the vaccine is your parachute. (laughs) You're in battle right now. We're in battle with COVID. It's a public health epidemic. It doesn't just affect you. It affects your kids' teachers, the people who work in that school to make sure your kids are safe and have lunch to eat and stuff like that. So you don't have the right to say, my kid's not getting masks. Unmask our kids. I've seen some (laughs) of your kids. The masks are helping, okay? you know. Cover up (laughs) half that little brat's face and send him to school. Because it's not a joke. And the people that are making it a joke, you know, some guy from Ohio was posing in front of a Trump sign in a cornfield. I it was the craziest thing I ever saw. You know, and he's (laughs) an idiot who's always running for Congress, apparently in Ohio. And sooner or later he'll probably slip in, you know. But my point is it's bringing out those kind of kooks. And good, let it. You know what I mean? This is not the side to be the time to be polite anymore. Okay. You're either in the way of progress or you're helping us recover as a nation because i think you know i probably speak for a lot of people we're sick of this you know people are getting real fatigued and it's not like we're sick of being smart about public safety and health we're sick of the fact that we're still dealing with this because a bunch of idiots are listening to some really cynical people telling them they shouldn't be getting masked and you know vaxxed my good friend works at fox news okay he's been at fox for over 20 years we talk all the time he tells me like Everybody in that building was vaxxed, except for one guy who died. His friend, like a reporter, died, right? Earlier this summer, at the beginning of the summer, he got it and died. But those guys are all vaxxed and wearing masks. You know what I'm saying? When you see a broadcast from Fox on 6th Avenue, the cameraman has a mask on. Everyone Mm -hmm. who got in that building from the script coordinator to the host on TV has every opportunity to get vaxxed and has gotten vaxxed, okay? So like, you know, they're not going to do that shit they're telling you to do. Tucker Carlson didn't send in his kids to ISD, you know, salt lick Texas school. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So like, (laughs) so don't listen to them is my point. They're manipulating you. Ron DeSantis would just assume see you dead. He doesn't give an F. He's trying to get money and get in Congress. He's in Nebraska today. Right. Fundraising while his state is crippled. This is Saturday. And uh, and we'll get into what else today is. What do you think, Jimmy? What do you what do you think about? You know, I, I read an article today. You can speak on this. Uh, you know, it was always it a Twitter thing you know, th- there's a kid in Florida who has disabilities. He can't go to school. He wants to go to school. He wants them to put on mask yeah. mandates so he can see his friends, so he can learn, so he can participate in what we all want our children to participate in, you know, an education and, and, and yeah. friendship and community. But DeSantis keeps blocking a mandate in his district and his parents aren't going to send him. You know, he's vulnerable. He's in a wheelchair and he's got health complications. He can't afford to catch it as if anyone can. But what do you think about that? You can you can personally like what if this was happening when you were? Oh,
1: yeah, I would be terrified. And I'm I'm among the healthier of the people with disabilities that I know. You know, I knew several kids that were wheelchair bound, had disabilities that were much more severe than mine or didn't have the ability to talk either. You know, can they vocalize their sickness to the person that's with them? That's the other concern that you have with uh, people with disabilities. And I saw a clip from a school board meeting this week. You had grown adults laughing at a teenage kid for losing his grandmother to COVID and like just wanting the community to wear masks so that no more death had to happen (laughs) in the community. You know, and for folks that are saying the president shouldn't recommend, you know, medical choices, we had an entire year of that where Trump was batshit crazy going on TV in press conferences, and all Biden's trying to do at this point is to prevent further death. It's not even a medical piece of advice. It's like common sense. Just take the vaccine and it's over. (laughs) I know.
0: I know. It's a simple thing, you know, and uh, I'm glad you made that point. Yeah, imagine, you know, nonverbal students not being able to tell their teacher they're starting to get a fever, you know, or they don't feel well. That potential student could be spreading it. That's why you have to have all these safety things like we shouldn't even be talking about it. And the Mm -hmm. other side is going to use it, as I say, like a cudgel. You know, they're just going to beat their voters or their listeners or whatever you call these morons that are following this ridiculous (laughs) dogma. The stuff behind this is billionaires, man. They want you doing all this stuff because they don't want you paying attention to their pipelines that it's cheaper to leak oil out of than it is to repair. Like mm-hmm. they don't want you getting hip to the fact that in Europe, they power trains with windmills at this point, dumping no carbon emissions into the air. I go. To, you haven't been to Japan. Yeah, probably not. But, you know, oh, I no. got the opportunity to go there. Yeah, I've only been there once, but I was there with Crosby, Stills and Nash. And, you know, they have bullet trains there <laughs> like you get on a train and like two hours later, you're in Osaka and you got in on the plane in Tokyo or something. Wow. You covered vast distances. You know, Japan's a pretty big country comparatively I mean but we don't have that here our highways are clogged now with like semi trucks all these beautiful roads I'm in the northeast it's the nicest time of year in the Hudson Valley and I went up into Millbrook yesterday which is a beautiful area horse country in the Hudson Valley gorgeous this time of year like Thomas Cole if you know those paintings Frederick Church it's called the Hudson River School of Painters Jimmy and those were the first painters that put the U.S. on the map with Europe Cause Europeans like were kind of scared of the U S they didn't know what was going on here. And then <laughs> these guys made these paintings of the Hudson Valley, which is just unique in all the world. It's this massive river with these palisades on either side and just old growth forests and all kinds of just cool trees. And it's just an amazing, beautiful place. And they painted these amazing pictures of it. And then those pictures found their way back to Europe and the Europeans were like, Oh my God, like that place is awesome, which yeah. is, you know, It's either good or bad, (laughs) depending (laughs) on how you look at things. I would have liked to seen the Hudson Valley before any Europeans came here, you know, especially (laughs) the Dutch. But, um, you know, that's not the ultimate point of what I'm saying. It's that, like, I was up there and I'm driving on these highways that I've been driving on. You know, I've been living up here since 1984. And. I've never seen so many cars, so many big, massive trucks on the highway, you know, and every truck is like Amazon, you know, it's like, okay, I get that you've got this big business, but you're still using this antiquated method to ship stuff around. And I know you're talking about drones. That's insane. Nobody wants that. But what if we improve our infrastructure to the point that we find, you know, you can have bullet trains, you know, let's get some trains like going between the East Coast and the Midwest and the Pacific Northwest and Southern California and stuff. Let's start moving stuff in a around in a way that like our planet hasn't doesn't have to die because somebody just ordered <laughs> toilet paper on amazon.com and we're gonna use fifty thousand tons of carbon fuel to get it across the country. <laughs> you know what <laughs> I mean, even though that's already happened to everything that's in your local <laughs> transport, you know what I so. My point is we have to advance and the people that don't want you to advance are the people that have something at stake. Like the the way things are is really good if you're an oil company right now, right? You don't want people paying attention to these hurricanes that are popping up every week and all this extreme weather. You want it just the way it is. No, fracking is good. Crude oil is good because we have the infrastructure in place, we have the monopolies on this business, and we own a government that's willing to fight wars on our behalf to make sure that this state (laughs) is the rule, right? So you don't want that. So you get a Joe Manchin, somebody saying, we're not going to do this infrastructure bill if you have these climate change things in here, because I don't like that. The guy's the head of the energy committee. You know, He's from a state that's been ravaged by big business, probably more than any other, if you want to look at it in terms of in environmental degradation and what it does to the people in it Kentucky would be a close second you know man you know Manchin flew to Kentucky last week he was probably going to you know strategize with Mitch McConnell and obviously as now he's in charge of the voter rights bill and all this stuff you know these men drunk on power he's the guy between the oil industry and what gets passed in Congress right now one guy who likes money more than people whose own brother had to sue him, right? Manchin's own brother had to sue him because his brother loaned him like a million and a half bucks to save the family business. They saved it and then Manchin didn't pay his brother back. The dude had to like sue him. They finally settled. You know, we all know what his daughter did raising the price of EpiPens. And if I've spent a lot of time in West Virginia. I got sick there on a Crosby, Stills, and Nash tour. I've told <laughs> this, yeah, have I told this on the podcast? You know, they told me not <laughs> to drink the water. And I accidentally took a vitamin in my hotel room in Morgantown and drank the water and it burned my throat and chest. And I was like sick for two days. I had to go to the doctor in like Iowa or somewhere the next stop because I just didn't even trust the doctors in West Virginia. So these guys have something to gain by the status quo. And it's these men that have been corrupted by all this money that wield this power over so many that happen to be in the minority and they don't want to get out of the way that we need to address everything comes to an end as I say all the time go do white people stuff man go build some you know what I'm saying you're Joe Manchin go hang out on your houseboat go down to the Chesapeake and go fucking bass fishing it's (laughs) rock season soon but get out of the way of progress what do you think Jimmy
1: I I saw a video on Twitter as well this week uh, from South Korea and they showed their infrastructure dude and it was amazing They had uh, three lanes on either side, plus a middle lane that had solar panels going all the way the length of the highway. And it had a bike path underneath protecting people like truly amazing stuff. You know, as an American, I, I had never seen that kind of thing. And I've talked about it on here. You know, it's not easy for me to drive a car. I drive with hand controls. I can get from point A to point B. But if public transportation was more widely available, I'd be more willing to use that just because a lot of people with disabilities and folks with just anxiety in general, and with all the trauma we've been through, Lord knows a lot of people have anxiety right now. Those kinds of infrastructure things w- would just help with calming down society in general. You know?
0: Absolutely. And a more holistic yeah. approach, as you had mentioned. Like, you know, one of the things I love about living in New York City is riding a bike everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. I started riding a bike everywhere when I was a kid. I've talked about that before. Like, I'm a bike guy. But after, you know, after 9-11, actually, I stopped taking the subways. Today's the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And we'll get into some of that stuff. But, um, you know, I ride a bike everywhere in New York City. And it was the best thing I ever did for my mental health. You know, I did it after 9-11. I didn't want to be in the subways. You know, it was just like, not the fear. It was just the darkness and being a part of this infrastructure that you're sort of helpless in. You're, yeah. you're underground in a tunnel, you know, it's like being stuck in a high rise. It's just, it's one of those things that if I can get some fresh air, I'm gonna, and it made all the difference. And it, it also helped my career. Cause like when I was working in live TV, like you do a gig, I have to be there. You can't be late when you work in production and with talent and stuff. You know what I mean? If Michael Jackson is showing up at the VMAs at 12 and you have to be there at 10, you got to be there at 10. (laughs) You know, you got to make sure stuff is ready to go. So I would ride a bike because I knew, oh, it takes me 15 minutes to get to Lincoln Center or to get to Radio City Music Hall. Like I could time out however long it took me because I was getting there under my own power. I get on the subway. Some days it takes me 20 minutes. Some days it takes me an hour because the subway broke down. And anybody who rides them now, they're falling apart. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> hundred year old stuff. They're in these old tunnels. And every time it rains, they flood. Like it's ridiculous to your point. And, and with just a little innovation and imagination, we can have things like they have in South Korea. I saw that thing with the bike path underneath the solar panel. So you could ride your bike in the rain, stay dry. While the commuter commuters that can't ride are on a train next to you, listening awesome. to the, listening to the Noel Castler podcast, you know, <laughs> but, um, and it's fun. It's about you get more of your life back if you take public transportation. You're with other people, you know, you get to read or do something else instead of driving. and you're right. Like the roads are where people are taking out their aggravation now. I mean, it's what I was kind of making that point of driving up in the Hudson Valley. I've done this forever, and it you didn't see so many obviously huge pickup trucks as I talk about every week. And uh, and that's just a way to be aggressive and masculine the same. It's the anti mask kind of thing. It's like I'm you know, I'm showing you who I am and I'm going to like get a big tailpipe, you know, that you could stick a watermelon in because it's so round, you know, and I'm going to rattle your windows when I drive by your house with my giant truck. (laughs) I know people are probably sick of me talking about that. I don't care because it's it's such a symbol of where we've gone. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're not trying to live in harmony with nature anymore. That's been a foregone conclusion. Now we're no longer trying to live in harmony with each other. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're divided. That's the big sin of Trumpism, you know, is that you have people thinking like my neighbor's an asshole because he's getting vaccinated. You know, and he voted for Biden. He should have been kick ass like me and voted for the angry guy who hates immigrants because I'm angry and it's OK to be angry now. I'm an American. And it, you know, they're making it feel like being an American is being an asshole with a flag and a big pickup truck and intolerant of others because you don't understand the world you live in anymore. And what these people really don't understand is that the world they thought they lived in that they think is slipping away was an illusion. It was mm. a myth sold to him, them by people that wanted them to believe the white man was superior, even though their circumstances would never be superior. They were the workers. You know, they were the guys out in the field pulling the oil up. You know, they were doing all this other stuff. Your John D. Rockefellers, you know, that were owning these standard oil and companies. Those were your superior race in terms of how they viewed themselves, right? Right. But you hand down this nostalgia, you know, and this thing, you know, that thinks like, well, I'm doing the right thing and I'm going to get mine and it's just rugged individuals. No, you know, you're sort of born into a system that's going to favor you from the beginning, that's not really going to want to get you to get too far up that ladder. That's reserved for the elites, the George Bushes of the world, the guys that can go to Wharton and Harvard and Yale and, you know, go to the right prep schools, which will feed you into that elite society. And then you join the right country club and then you join the right white shoe law firm and you do favors for our kind. You know, that's the unspoken tenet of that is like once you come up in that system. You got to honor it. You got to respect the other people in the system. You got to choose your buddy's kid, even though, you know, the African-American girl from Brooklyn is far more qualified, but you got to do the favor for such and such. Cause you know that your kid's trying to get into Buckley and their dad's on the board. It's this is the way it is.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. It's in, and it's that, it's not just that way in sort of finance and law firms and things like that. It's that way in journalism. Right, you know, if you want to be an intern at a major magazine, you got to have, or you know, newspaper or something, you have to have relative experience that will that already like if you already had that experience, you wouldn't need to be an intern. You know, you you got to have spent three years as a copy editor at Time Magazine before you can come (laughs) like work for free. You know, so those things just get handed off to the elites' children because that's the only one ones who can afford to work for free. You know, when I worked, when I started in live television, Kennedy Center Honors is my first gig. I started on very prestigious show, you know, but we'd always get these interns that would like fly across the country, you know, (laughs) and like they'd work for free. And I remember asking one of them once, like, "Ah, where are you staying? Like, you're from, you know, LA and you're out here like work. They're like, yeah, I'm staying at the Four Seasons. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, wow, their parents could pay them to like go do this job that was going to get them, you know, in the right position in life. And it's okay to look out for each other. But, you know, when, when it becomes this defined system that's not based on merit, it's based on superiority. And then when the people who really have only one thing in common with that elitism, and it's the color of their skin, right, but are willing to fight and keep others down to protect the protected class, then it just becomes this idiocy irony like confederacy of dunces thing that we're living in now you know because now you got the dudes doing the bidding for rupert murdoch you know rupert murdoch is sitting on his super yacht laughing right now like laughing yeah. right jerry hall's feeding him grapes and somebody's massaging his feet while he's watching judge janine tell people like people shouldn't have to wear a mask on planes what if you're feeding your baby yogurt and they, what are you feeding your baby yogurt on a fucking plane for god <laughs> I've sat next to some bad people. I do not want the baby eating yogurt next to me, maskless, on a flight right now. (laughs) You know, that was her rant, like she was on TV. She's a weirdo, by the way. You ever? She's like three feet tall with a head (laughs) the size of a pumpkin. Do you know who I'm talking about?
1: She looks like a ventriloquist dummy, dude. Like, like, there you go. There.
0: There. (laughs) She is a ventriloquist dummy. They all are. That's my point. You know, they're spewing out this stuff to the masses to keep their, you know, these billionaires wealthy. And it's, well, you go, Jimmy, I'll, I'll rant more in a minute.
1: Well, I can testify to that journalism, like needing connections in order to establish a career. Like, you have to understand, I grew up with a dad who was in the entertainment industry, played for 30 years in Indianapolis, all right? And then he worked for uh, Bob and Tom Radio. They're a syndicated radio show, have been syndicated in multiple markets for 25 years. I had to have that connection to get to where I am now, you know. And I had a radio station at my high school that propelled me and put me ahead of people that were in college with me. You're only kind of where you are based on where you start. And fortunate for me, I had a lot of circumstances that went in my favor. And you have to play your hand as best you can, but that's where we talk about it every week, you know, trying to level the playing field. And instead of having a Ted Cruz who's obviously educated, but is using that education to only better himself. We have to better the masses as opposed to bettering individuals. So,
0: yeah, exactly to live up to our promise. You know, to all right. the stuff everyone's going to talk about today that you're going to see in nine eleven memorials. You know what we stand for: freedom. We will not forget. We shouldn't right. forget. It was a horrible day. I'm a New Yorker. I did an episode, you know, about it with with Greg Oliar this week, but you know, and I'm not going to get into 9-11 specific stuff, but it's like, who are we? You know, it's a good day to reflect because it's 20 years down the road. We're facing another challenge that's killing a lot more Americans than died on 9-11. Now, I'm not taking away from each and every one of those tragic deaths and injuries that happened after. We've had my friend who was a police officer. You know, a lot of my friends worked on the pit. They ended up dying after, you know, they're not in those names that'll be read today, but they were very much victims of Uh 9-11. And, uh, And look at what's happening now. You know, you got 600,000 Americans dying and they can take a vaccine. It's preventable. You know, if there was a vaccine, like if you could like, hey, you could get out of this building right now, but you got to take a vaccine. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's a harsh comparison, but you have to start thinking of things in those terms. If you gave any one of those people, and I'm sure a lot of them, you know, could be the type of people that had they lived and not been in that circumstances would be sort of ended up voting for Trump. You know, there was a lot of finance guys and stuff. That went down in those towers, you know, the same kind of guys that support Trump a lot, and, you know, and some of them may be supporting this crazy, angry rhetoric now of not taking masks or vaccines. But what right. if you ask those people, hey, you can leave, but you got to take a vaccine, otherwise, you're facing imminent death, potential death. Those guys had no choice; they were going to die tragically, and it was the most horrific thing that our nation has experienced in a single event, right? And it happened before all of our eyes on television. This is a slow motion 9-11 that doesn't produce dramatic footage every day, but has killed gazillions of times more Americans. And you have a big chunk of the country thinking like they don't have to do anything about it. And not only do they not have to do anything about it, they'll walk up and cough in somebody else's face in a supermarket because they're mad that you're doing something about it. right? We would twist the arms so hard of somebody who showed a similar lack of respect to a 9-11 family or, or, you know, widow. What if you went up to the widow or the son of a fireman that perished that day, those brave heroes, and started mocking them in that way? Mm -hmm. Pulling out a cigarette lighter, fucking, you know, throwing some bricks on the ground and being like, ha ha. He yeah. died in fiery wreckage you know a whole entire building people jumping out of their windows like that the stuff was real jimmy you know it was horrific horrific stuff right and and, and we treat it with the respect it deserves when it comes to 9-11 but this thing we allowed cynical people to divide the nation you know we mm-hmm. allow facebook to put like anti-vax disinformation Constantly, you wouldn't even have anti vax stuff in the American population without Facebook. Mm. That's all 100% on Mark Zuckerberg. That's where it spread. And the Russians were setting this up 10 years ago when it came out. That's when all this anti vax wackadoodle stuff started. It used to be like a vax, hell yeah, give me that. I don't want polio. You know what I mean? It's a two second shot. What do you think it's going to do to you? You don't question what you're putting in your body in other ways. You're sitting there eating hot pockets, drinking a diet Coke, watching TV with a cell phone full of radiation next to your balls 20 hours a day, sitting in your <laughs> pocket, right? And you're not yeah. worried about any, what any of that's going to do, any of that for profit stuff that is being made by corporations that have shown they don't have people's best interests at heart pretty much 99% of the time in the history <laughs> of commerce and capitalism, right? But all of a sudden, this thing, you think you know better than Dr. Fauci. You think the My Pillow guy or Donald (laughs) freaking Trump is going to give you better advice. The guy who's spending 9-11 doing color commentary for a wrestling match, and according to Bill Crystal or Charlie Sykes or somebody, is like, Don Jr. said, hey, I think my father's going to reveal what Area 51 is tonight on the boxing match.
1: Get (laughs) pay-per-view
0: here. Can you imagine that kind of grifting? First of all, Trump's not going <laughs> to, you know what I mean? Can, that's, I don't know if that's real. I saw it on Twitter, but it sounds like exactly what a Trump kid would do. Like, cause they, they're getting a piece of it, right? He's doing that. Cause all the MAGA guys are going to download the fight. And I think it's like Evander Holyfield or somebody, right? Who's fighting or somebody, right? It is.
1: Yeah. Evander Holyfield at, at retirement age is going to box. Again. No, 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 no. So. Dude,
0: I met Evander Holyfield. Yeah in 99 at a sports illustrated like 20th century greatest sports heroes event we did at the yeah. garden he was retired then right? <laughs> that was 23 years ago 22 years ago he was retired then and i saw his ear with a little chunk missing oh okay. yeah yeah but um that was 20 years ago do you know what i'm saying like right, right, how yeah. old is he because i'm 50 you know and i'm 30 <laughs> at the time like how old is he but whatever it's a grift, right? They're just like download this thing, you know, watch this fight, see my dad. All the other presidents are somber and they're at 9 11 this morning. They're there. I did the museum opening. We had every living ex-president there when the museum opened. Talk about somber. Talk about being, you know, I was in that room. I did all those memorials for years after 9-11. I, I don't know if I've talked about it on here, but like I was one of my jobs, it's a TV job. And they got the A team, the best of the best. I won't mention their names, but my friends still handle it. You know, they're there this morning. I had to stop doing it. It was too much for me. I came back and did the museum because that was a big one. But I did it for years after 9-11. And the emotional toll, mm-hmm. listening to those children read their parents' names was just, you know, for hours and hours and hours. Not that it's about me. I'm just saying, me as a recovering alcoholic, it was like I couldn't shake it off anymore, you know. And I walked into a bar a couple of weeks after nine eleven, and I didn't walk out again till two thousand five, you know. And I was sober when it happened, you know, right. not as sober as I should have been. My program wasn't that good, but I wasn't drinking. And then I was like, "Fuck it," you know. Right. I mean? And right. it, yeah. and I'm not the kind of person who can say that. It takes me years to to get back on track, you know. So my point is, it's a heavy event and for everybody especially new yorkers and who's not there trump not that he was invited which is i'm sure why he's doing the boxing thing i'm sure they're like there's no way you're coming here dude <laughs> you know like we're you're not invited because you didn't do anything to help his kids weren't out there handing out water and stuff after the attacks i don't even think he was in new york you know i know there's that famous thing where he was calling into the radio station and saying he has the largest towers in manhattan now i heard from somebody he was down at mar-a-lago with another couple that weekend so and who knows it was you know it was a tuesday morning but like and they did shut down flights you could look it up but like anything else he creates his own myth last week he was saying that firefighters pulled him out of the way when 50 <laughs> world trade center fell or something as if he was just standing there with bodies and rubble falling all around him you know and then <laughs> the firefighters had to be like get back sir Another building is coming down, and it took two of them, one on each arm, to move the solid, <laughs> rippling, you know, rippling muscle that is Donald Trump, right? He was nowhere near it. There's no bigger coward. The dude got lost a fight with an eagle, you know what I'm saying, and an umbrella, you know? And there's a famous clip of him on the campaign trail when it sounded like gunshots. You never saw somebody move so quick, duck, you know? like Reagan sat there and kept waving when he got shot. You know, (laughs) Trump hears somebody pop a balloon and he's pissing himself and hiding behind old women. So like that's, you know, they're cowards. They're a family of cowards. We don't have to rehash that. He's the kin of cowards. His grandfather literally got kicked out of Germany for refusing to serve in the Bavarian army. That's some cowardice shit, you know, and he tried to go back and they're like, you can't go back. You didn't do your duty as a citizen. And that's Trump, right? He exploited 9-11. He took 9-11 relief funds. He wasn't paying his taxes during all those years, right? So he wasn't paying his part of the bill that America had to pay mm. to undo that damage that New York City had to pay to rebuild that, that our federal government, that your grandkids' grandkids are gonna still be paying for it, Jimmy. You know, <laughs> not to mention all the money that went into the wars that we just ended one of them two weeks ago right, that went on for 20 years that had really nothing to do with 9-11. Nobody there was an Afghani, you know, who was like training. It was all BS. And we all know that. But it was a knee jerk reaction. And it was the expensive, profitable reaction. And it was the easy one to get everybody like, rah, rah, now we're going to go kick ass. And the same people that were saying that were like, Biden sucks. He pulled out the wrong way. It's like, just, you know, they'll, they'll flip the coin on either sides and see how they can make money off it do you know what i'm saying yeah they talk out of both sides of their mouths the gop the trumps and the dogma of the right it used to be my country love it or leave it right you don't like it you can get out of here bro and now it's like don't comply don't take a ma- van a, ma- a vaccine you know there was all this like disinfo about the military like on twitter this week there was all these things where like i need to desert tomorrow from the army because they're forcing <laughs> me to take a vaccine and it's un, you know, it's it's against my constitution. Dude, you took 20 vaccines, <laughs> you know, the day they shaved your head and you went into the service. So like it's political expediency and, and they're trusting their base not to be smart enough to see through it. And it's just it's it's maddening, you know, it's maddening yeah. to think, think of an ex-president who's not allowed to go to 9-11, who's the only one who actually is a New Yorker. You know, I mean, really? Clinton, Obama lived in New York. Yeah, he's the only one who's actually yeah. from New York, right? Obama's from Hawaii, Chicago. Obama went to Columbia and has deep roots there. Clinton's lived in New York for, you know, 25 years. But Trump is, this whole gig was I'm Mr. New York. You know, <laughs> like I built <laughs> right. all the skyscrapers. My name's, I, I have to have my name all over that town because my ego is so tiny. From the ice skating rink that I'm going to use to hit on 12-year-old girls, to the shitty towers on the west side that no longer bear his name because he's such a disgrace. But there was a time where Trump's name was every other block in New York City. And it was gaudy and offensive to anybody with a sense of decency because he was a clown when he was doing this in the 80s and 90s. He was a tabloid clown that nobody respected. And now he's lost so much respect he can't be invited to a 9-11 (laughs) show. He has to go to a wrestling match you know, or a boxing match and give color commentary instead. That's insane. That's so embarrassing as a nation. That's so beneath (laughs) who we're supposed to be. And it's certainly beneath honoring the lives of those people lost. You think this is where they want us to be 20 years later, like people are looking down, like pretty psyched about the way things have gone in the United (laughs) States since, you know, It didn't bring us together. It brought us apart. And anybody who's trying to divide you is as much an enemy as Osama bin Laden, okay? Because it's just as much terrorism and it's worse because it's psychological and it divides people from their neighbors, from their own family. There's a lot of people who don't talk to members of their own family now over Trump. You know, you're going to lose your kinfolk over a guy who wouldn't piss on you if you were on fire. None of them would. None of them would give you a dime if you were hungry and you're not going to talk to your kin folks because they've been brainwashed by this stuff. And that's what we got to face. We're facing something that's a far greater threat than Al Qaeda, much, much greater. They attacked the Capitol on January 6th. They're going back next Saturday, a week from today. They got another rally on the 18th. The same people who did it. We're letting them do this. Why? Because we're being polite. You know, why are we letting them do it, Jimmy?
1: Well, and, you know, I finished, I I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I had started that show, um, Rescue Me, which Dennis Leary had written, and it was really good. It it talked about uh, the daily lives of firefighters after 9-11, and it ends on the 10th anniversary of 9-11. And they just talk about how, you know, a lot of firefighters suffered from PTSD, the guys that survived and had to go forward with their jobs without their comrades who were lost on 9-11. And then had to deal with the aftermath of like, you know, just the trauma of it and having to drink booze or, you know, cheat on their wives because they just couldn't handle it. This trauma wasn't just nine 11 and the aftermath and all the sickness that happened from, you know, the search that went on, but just having to relive that in your memory and what you personally had to go through. It's hard to, I mean, you can't undo that. And January 6th was similar. You know, that was kind of the straw that broke my back as an American who believed that there was hope that things might change. No, it's, it's a rigged game and they're, they're trying to keep it that way.
0: Yeah. And well, and they're not even trying to keep it that way. They're trying to uh, to make it a whole, a whole lot right. harder. You know, they're trying to make it into an authoritarian state, you know, these power grabs, California, you know, they're trying to recall governor, you know, Newsom, like, they're, they're, and that's Christian, like fascist kind of organizations that are back in mm-hmm. this Larry Elder guy. Like, the more of a whack job you are, the more appeal you have to these extreme forces because it's polarizing. They don't really need the guy to make sense anymore. They need a lot of people to say his name and get tweets and stuff. That's why you have, you know, JD Peckerwood, you know, some guy who wrote Hillbilly Elegy. Elegy you know, <laughs> his name's JD Van, but, you know, he's a nobody. He's a nobody grifter like the rest of these guys, you know, had a privileged education, pretends like he's a country yokel, you know, like Mm -hmm. Ted Cruz, dude grew up in Toronto, went to Harvard, you know. (laughs) He's not Mr. Rattlesnake Texan, you know, is bullshit, but people buy it. The crappy stuff sells the most, Jimmy. That's the thing Mm -hmm. you'll learn if you ever go into corporate stuff. You know, when I did the VMAs and all this stuff, a lot of music was horrible. Let's be honest. It was just like, and, and everyone knew it. It was cynical. It was like, who is this crap? I don't know, but like, we're playing it. This is what the label wants to push this year. And, you know every year would seem to get worse and worse you have great talent that comes through there too you'll get an alicia keys and somebody who just blows your mind that you hadn't heard of before she filled in for alia alia when when she d- died it's before your time jimmy there was a do
1: you know who alia is i do recall her yeah she was a gifted young singer and then she passed, passed And right. exactly
0: yeah. And then we, you know, Clive Davis had been champion Alicia Keys and they're like, call up Alicia Keys, you know, and we, none of us really knew who she was. And she was like 16 or something. She was very young and, and took this spot and was just blown away like a star is born, you know, and I remember Jay-Z had a, an incredible performance there around the same yeah. era, but you know, a lot of it was crap. It was J-Lo, you know, it was just stuff that wasn't <laughs> even music that we all knew they couldn't even sing, but it, you know, it, it's a product and that's, who's going to sell the most albums, you know, Madonna and people that aren't really artists, but it's a business. And, and it's okay yeah. when you're just selling confectionants, you know, pop music is just confections. It's just something to make you happy and good politics is not. Right? Politics is life and death because this is what happens when people don't take it seriously. When you let rodeo clowns run for president, (laughs) you you know, (laughs) like you don't want that. You certainly don't want... Somebody like Iran DeSantis, you know, who's who's acting. He does all of Trump's accordion moves with his hands and he points his little finger and he tries to outdo himself to be especially cruel, especially to the vulnerable, because he knows there's a sadism that runs through America. There's a threat in America that's very sadistic Mm
1: -hmm. and it runs
0: through a lot of white America and a lot of southern white Americans. People would want to deny that. But after church on Sunday, people would go to lynchings and they'd bring their children and they'd bring a boxed lunch. They'd uh-huh. bring a picnic lunch. And this is not 100 years ago. I'm talking like 60 years ago. Uh-huh. You now, 70 years ago. So there's people that like cruelty, especially if they think that cruelty is being meted out to people that they already resent. So around DeSantis, who didn't take the $375 per child foods, you know, like supplement money that was coming from the federal government. He hasn't applied for any of it. All these other states are doing, you know, taking this money to make sure kids don't go hungry in this difficult time. And he's not taking the monies because he wants kids to go hungry. He wants people to be desperate, because if you get desperate and you get angry, you're easier to manipulate. That's what terrorists do. Right. You get people to strap bombs onto their bodies because they think they have no future and they see their other family members suffering. And then you point at a building and say, that's the reason your little brother's going hungry and your dad died and you need to go in there and stop it for the good of our people. That's what Trump and these guys are doing. That's what January 6th was. It was a terrorist attack where you manipulated people into believing they were doing the right thing. That's what you have to understand about this stuff is that the people who do this think they're doing the right things for themselves and their families. Those guys thought they were patriots. They believed this shit. This wasn't Woodstock 99 where it was just a bunch of knuckleheads like, hey, let's fucking tear this stuff up and light it on fire. These guys all thought they were being commanded by their commander-in-chief to attack the Capitol because he told them to, right? (laughs) And Michael Flynn egged him on who's a general and did it in the trappings of militarism, he made them feel like they were soldiers. And you feel like it's an official when you see a guy there on stage and the White House is in the backdrop, you know, when you're there with a crowd of people and everyone's got the flag that you've been told to salute and put your hand over your heart and all the propaganda and all the T-shirts and all the people that you grew up with in a town told you this is who we are and this is patriotism. Those guys pretty much thought they were kind of avenging 9-11 right? Because yep. Trump sold the whole Republican Party. We're the party of law and order and military and gods and guns and freedom and screaming eagles and stuff, right? <laughs> they're yep. the most unpatriotic, right? But they're manipulating people, just like a terrorist is the most un-Islamic of those faiths. You know, we try to like say, oh, it's Muslim, terrorist. No, Muslim, Islam is a religion of peace. Those guys have co-opted the religion to get people that do violence in their names, You know, they're doing that in Osama bin Laden's interest because he wants to be the leader. He's a rich Saudi. He grew up with a super wealthy family, which we flew out the day after 9-11, by the way. Let you know how wealthy they are. It's like, all right, guys, get on a plane. We'll make sure you get out of here safely, right? Mm -hmm. Because he was a rich guy, but he was exploiting poor guys, right? That's what happens. Rich guys get poor people to do their work for them. And they get so drunk on power, they get people to like, kill people for them. That's what happens to dictators. That's what they do. You can go all through history. And Trump is acting upon the same psychological framework, you know, the same mechanics of hate and evil. And when it gets organized and when it has the power behind it that we've never seen before. Okay. Social media is like nuclear power. It's beyond anything anyone could imagine. Hitler had newspapers and radio and speeches in person. And he was able to basically get a whole country to commit atrocities. Now you've got 24 hours a day. You can log on to Facebook and see some like thing that looks real to you. You know, right. and there's the My Pillow guy telling me to drink horse paste. And there's Joe Rogan. He's taking it too, must be good. <laughs> he looks fit, <laughs> you know, yeah. but it okay. works. And, and it's so powerful. We don't even understand it yet. But but we're getting a glimpse that it's not safe. Right. And, And especially if it's abused, you know, nuclear power. I'm not a fan of nuclear power, so I won't make that analogy. But it's one thing when you're attempting to use it to power a city. It's quite another thing when you're attempting to use it to blow up a city. That's how you can view social media. You know, it's one thing to connect with your high school friends and play Candy Crush. It's quite a separate thing to say, let's all meet in dc on january 6th and fucking kill the vice president because we want the fat guy to stay
1: president yeah i mean because
0: he's telling us to do it
1: yeah you mentioned um how a lot of southern america in the south they would you know go to a lynching on sunday after church i'm not comparing it to this but a lot of america what do they do after they go to church on sunday they watch football you know that's controlled violence And a competitive thing that the NFL puts on. And if you watched college football, Notre Dame played Florida State in Tallahassee. Not a single mask in sight, you know, and the the Tampa Bay Bucks opened the NFL season this past week. Uh, You know, they had the flag, the flyover. They had all the things that you need to trigger MAGA when they're watching the football game. You know, it's the same psychological stuff just in modern day.
0: Exactly. And it's like, hey, don't worry, you're doing the right thing. We got
1: flags here. There's four
0: vets down on the field. You're good. You don't have Mm -hmm. to wear a mask. You're part of the right. You're protected by the faith that is patriotism and and imagery, right? No, you know, that's not what makes us strong. What makes us strong is welcoming immigrants and making sure kids are fed in our communities and making sure the kid in the wheelchair gets to go and participate. Along with his classmates, not as a way to be good to make us feel better about ourselves, but to make ourselves better, right? Mm-hmm. What does that kid have to offer that we don't know yet because he's not getting a shot at an education? Stephen Hawking's in a wheelchair. He was, you know what I'm saying? One of the great geniuses of our time. Like you don't deny anybody, is my point. Same with immigration. Who's trying to come across to, to get a better life that's going to change this place for the better, that's going to cure cancer? that's going to figure out a way to like power a city without digging into the side of the mountain and getting coal out of it. We need the forward march of progress. We don't need people to stay locked in to mental imagery that divides them from the rest of the world and humanity. And You know, I know you were talking about stadiums and stuff. That blew my mind. You know, we haven't Uh done an episode since the college games last weekend. And I was like, oh, my God, we're all going to die. Like, this is insane. (laughs) You're at Uh UT Austin in a stadium with 80,000 other kids screaming at the top of your lungs. Then Uh you're, you know, for four hours. Then you're going to go to Kegger. Then you're going to make out. Or, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, how much Uh stuff was spread just last weekend? We're probably going to be in pretty dire straits. And I think uh, Biden knew that because I was watching it like I hope somebody in Washington is paying attention and taking action, because in three to six weeks, this is going to surge like crazy. Right. And on, then all those kids are going to be going home for Thanksgiving in a couple of months. Mm-hmm. And then we're here we are again. Right. And then our grandma's sick and now a whole house has to quarantine. Like it's a never ending cycle. And the fact that that just happened boggles my mind that that. You could not only be unmasked, but like not proof of vaccination to get into a stadium and stuff like that's, that's insane.
1: Well, and to this point, the Colts aren't going to mandate vaccination, but as far as fans, you know, it's going to be a super spreader event at Lucas Oil this weekend. I want fans there, by the way, you know, I was on the field. I want this to happen, but it's, we can't have it. If it's going to be hurting people, like it's a, it's a public health problem that we're facing here. But it's at a point where, I mean, it's just, it, it exponentially gets worse with each week. Right. And people don't care.
0: It's like almost like not caring is, is the new black.
1: <laughs> you know <laughs> what I
0: mean? It's a fashionable choice. You know, I've spent a lot of time, or you not know, as much as you have, but I've been, Lucas Oil is one of those stadiums I'm familiar with from doing the yeah. Super Bowl and the Jim Iracy games. So I could just walk in there if I had a ticket tomorrow. I don't have to show a vaccination card or wear
1: a mask. And I can yeah, uh, they it. strongly recommend masks, but they're not requiring them. My understanding is that they do not they're not going to require it. So right, we'll see. You know, and
0: sitting around the pickup truck for three hours before the game and <laughs> no stuff, no masks. You know, hand me a beer. The guy's making the hot dogs and the brats
1: on the grill, coughing on them and stuff. Well, and you know, here's another thing. No, like you were talking about the kid with a disability who can't go to school. The thing that gave me my passion for broadcasting was doing my high school football games on Friday night. And if you have a full capacity crowd, the kid with a disability who might be the broadcaster probably isn't going to feel comfortable doing a game that night. We're not allowing kids to find their passion. That's the other tragic part of this is like there's so many you were talking about. it. There's so many gifts that these kids need to figure out for themselves, but they don't have the opportunity because government's getting in the way.
0: Yeah, we're losing progress. You know, we're losing the forward march of progress as a people, right? And that's what they sort of want. It's the same thing. Like, hey, let's let them have football again. Maybe hopefully Broadway never opens up. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like there's certain arts that people aren't, they're not concerned with because you go to a football game, you get all the right stuff, right? You get the flag, you get the vets, you get the, you know, a little kind of like that modern country music that I always make fun of that's just- you're propaganda. I'm on a red dirt farm. No, you're not. You know, I've been to those places. You're, you're going to Taco Bell and Walmart and stuff. You're not like catching catfish and frying them up on your back porch, playing your banjo, you know, in the moonlight with all these chicks, you know, like that. It, it's always is, you know, do you know what I'm saying? It's always the <laughs> entry of girls and date, you know, and you go there and like, dude, that's not what any of you guys look like first of all. <laughs> right like yeah. and you're listening to kid rock you're listening to rap music like you know and i know they listen to the party rock stuff nashville crap now but it's not even i love country music if anyone ever gets the impression i'm not into country music you're so wrong you know <laughs> cuz i love that stuff and i think of it more as americana you know it's just american music and uh this Nashville kind of thing. It's not even country. Like if you listen to the music, the the guitars, they're all distorted and stuff, you know, <laughs> but my technical, it's like pop rock, you know, it's not, you know, exactly. it's no steel guitars. It's no like, you know, and there's no sense of soulfulness. Like, you know, George yeah. Jones, these guys, you know, you could hear the pain in their voices. These guys are just like, yeah, it's party, you know, like,
1: <laughs> like what? A lot of it you know is, I mean? um, a lot of it is like, and the star has to be marketable. You know, like, and this isn't, I think she's a talented person. You know, Taylor Swift made it where country is pop and you have to have a certain look and approach to what you do, right? I mean, I, I don't know. The music industry has become very about looks right. and, and different things outside of just the sound.
0: Uh, Taylor Swift is awesome. By the way, I've done a gazillion. She's great. Those super talented, super incredible. I did one of her first major shows, which was like, she was on the tree lighting for NBC, And she had the Swarovski crystal guitar. And she did like the, we do two hours of that show, like a regional and a national one. And she opened it up and like, she wasn't a big star then. And then two years later, she became the biggest thing in the world and did VMAs with her. And I did a Victoria's Secret runway show with her, you know, with all the models. And she was prettier than the models. You know what I'm saying? Like she held her own, you know, with all these Victoria's Secret angels, not that, That show would even happen today. The last time I did (laughs) the show, I was like, How is this even happening in this post Me Too movement? I think it's finally done forever. It was pretty terrible show. But she was great on it. My point is, and after the show, she gave gifts her mom, had like gifts for everybody and stuff. She is a class act, kind person, and a genuinely talented songwriter. She's writing from her heart and she means it. You know, she's not somebody who's like, cynical she puts her money where her mouth is she's spoken out politically a bunch in the last year and a half and that takes balls you know i worked with the dixie chicks when they were just starting out i did a show Mm -hmm. called cheryl Crow and friends in central park and they had the number one record in the country that week this was in 99 and i worked with them and they actually were like hey you're great you should come on the road with us and it was long before i toured and they were too pretty but um (laughs) it it was like hard to talk to them (laughs) you know what i mean but uh (laughs) Same with Taylor Swift, you know. My point is they spoke out and lost their careers, you know. So everybody in Nashville knows it. So when you see somebody who's in modern country music putting their money where their mouth is, like a Garth Brooks, you can believe it. And Garth Brooks is another great person. That dude is a nice guy. And he's uh I did a few things with him. I even did the Chris Gaines thing. If you know what Chris Gaines was, he tried to be an Australian rock star at one point and oh. have a whole album that's pretty good. But like he had this alter ego thing.
1: You don't know about <laughs> Garth Brooks? No, I, I don't. No, I'm oh, going to have to look there's it a,
0: up. Garth Brooks is a cool guy, man. And there's a, there's a documentary on Netflix about Darth Brooks. You should watch it. He's a very cool guy. And he came to uh, Barack Obama's big concert for HBO on the mall before he got inaugurated. Oh, and, awesome. and he also wrote a, you know a sort of like anti-racism song after the riots after Rodney King. After the Rodney King verdict as a country artist back then, when things were still very like kind of segregated almost in music, he wrote this thing and it was controversial. And when he was performing at the Super Bowl, they didn't want him to sing it. And Mm -hmm. he's like, I'm not performing if I'm not singing this song. And he said that like the day of the show, like dressed and ready to go. And they're like, the network doesn't want you to do this song. And he's like, well, then I'm not doing the gig. Good and for that's you. that's putting your money where your mouth is because, you know, something bigger is at stake. So you'll see artists do that. And uh, when they do, they're the real deal, especially if they've already been rewarded handsomely. And that's what music has. It has the power to change our lives. And we'll we'll wrap it up here in a minute. But, you know, I got to see all those things because I was coming from a place where I wanted something better and uh, for myself. I just had a desire and a will to get in the music business. You know, I'd met Jackson Brown, who was my hero. When I was 17, I snuck into his dressing room and I yeah. grew up listening to his music and it's very progressive politically and just introspective. You know, it helped me through difficult times in my life. So it meant something to me and I, and I wanted to be a part of things that that mean something like I saw Springsteen in 1984 too, who I later got to work with, you know, a bunch of times and, you know, he was telling this story. I was standing in a stadium with my uncle and we were on the third tier of the old giant stadium, you know, way up there in the sky. And this was actually 85, right? It was August of 85 when he just finished the board in the USA tour. So Springsteen went from like someone who was kind of big, but not huge to like the biggest star in the world. And then he came back to do like a five night stand at a giant stadium, which was like this glorious homecoming. And I got to go the first night. My uncle who worked at New York magazine took me and uh, you know, we got some tickets in the parking lot, scalped them or something. And I remember standing up there as he's playing this concert and about, and you know, an hour and a half into it, he starts telling this monologue you know this story about like a real intimate thing about his father when he was going to get drafted into Vietnam and he had to go take the physical and his dad was like yeah when you go to the army they'll make a man out of you you hippie you know what I mean I'm glad you're going in there and then so he tells this story and it's really intimate and I get the kind of goosebumps at one point and I'm like damn that's kind of personal, bro. I don't know you that well. Right. Like I get this feeling like, whoa, you're revealing so much to me. Like, are you sure we're cool like this? Cause we just met, you know, if, if you've ever met somebody who kind of tells you something too personal right off the bat, you get this weird feeling. And I, and I got that feeling. Right. And then I looked around, and I realized I was standing there with 75,000 people. I realized this one guy who was a tiny little speck down on the stage was able to share something personal from his life something vulnerable, you know, a key moment. And he was tying it into some art that he wanted to communicate to you about love and family and relationships. And it made me feel that way. And I realized, man, there's 75,000 people here. You know, this guy just gave me goosebumps. I'm like, whatever that is, I want to be a part of that. You know, whatever that magic is that can make us all feel connected in these moments. In the subtler ways, I got to be a part of that. And it's not just the guitar solos and the bombastic drums and the incredible songs and orchestral kind of arrangements. Sometimes it's just a guy bearing his soul to you. And that's the kind of thing that we come together for. And that's what we want to connect to. So, you know, I had that feeling when I was a kid, I snuck into Jackson's dressing room and then I, you know, I was a waiter basically. And Jackson had given me a few backstage passes. And I saw that there was this world behind the scenes and then I worked as a waiter at this barbecue joint in Maryland and the guy's wife who owned the restaurant is still a good friend of mine to this day and a big person in TV. I won't say her last name, but I don't say anybody's name anymore in the show. Cause I get too many death threats and stuff. You know, I will say happy birthday, Jeff. My, my buddy, Jeff is an early supporter of the show. Happy birthday if he's listening, but, um, I'm not going to give out anybody's names ever on this show. But so this woman was from LA and we're in Maryland and working at this restaurant. She's like, Yeah, I work in live TV. I'm a production coordinator. Come and be like a PA this weekend. They're in town for the Kennedy Center Honors. You'll get to see what it's like, you know. And we're going to do this other show too for Disney while we're there. And you know, I ended up running back into Jackson Brown. I was like, wow, you can run into like rock stars backstage at these tv things like and and i saw that the access was a lot easier to talk to people when you're already in the green room with them backstage than it is when you're waiting outside of a concert or something you know and i got there and i was like doing whatever chores and then i was backstage and somebody said here take this and go stand on that riser and they handed me a french horn right and they said go hold this french horn and stand on that riser we got to do camera blocking I don't know what I'm doing. I'm here with these other extra kind of people and they're doing camera blocking. All of a sudden, Billy Preston comes out from the left. Uh Aretha Franklin comes out from the the right, stage right. Then they put in the Washington Gospel Choir and they do a take of a gospel song. They're trying to pay tribute to Marian Williams, a a great African-American opera singer. I think I got her name right. And they do a take. It's not good enough. The director's like, hey, can you try it once more with feeling? And Aretha comes out and is just like taking, you know, lightning bolts down from the heavens <laughs> and throwing them on people. Because now she's like kind of mad and wants to show you like, all right, <laughs> you want the A game? Here you go. Aretha's A game. And Aretha's A game was like not the territory of mere mortals. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> people that were clearly gifted with something that most of us don't even glimpse in our lifetimes and and she was sharing it you know and she was sort of giving it out freely in heaping doses and it had us all crying you know because it was just you're seeing the truth you're seeing the spirit and soul and you know and it becomes a celebration and an idea that there's something bigger than us and there's something that we can all believe in and there's something that can lift us all up you know we just have to tap into that spirit that's why churches have choirs. That's why people come together on Sunday to sing together and rejoice. We're stronger together than we'll ever be divided. Okay. And anyone who tells you that the other is your enemy is lying to you. Even the other, in terms of my perceived enemies, in terms of political stuff, these guys aren't my enemies. They're brainwashed. You know, a lot of them don't stand a chance because they're products of an environment that really doesn't give them any other options than believing the crap they believe. I don't mean the guys perpetrating it. I mean the guys that are falling for it. So ultimately, we're all going to come together. We'll realize we're one and we're going to make this a better place, okay? That's enough of a lecture harang for this week. Thanks for listening again, episode 28. Jimmy's going to plug his stuff now.
1: Uh, JBKonair.com, that's me. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, JBKonair.
0: Thank you, and I'm Noel Kassler, noelkassler.com. And I will be at the Rams head this Thursday night, September 16th. It's an 8 p.m. show. It's a $20 ticket. Everybody's going to be masked and vaxxed. And it's going to be a lot of fun. I got a cool opener. Good friend of mine, Peter Sullivan, really funny comedian from the D.C. area. I'm looking forward to hearing him. So come on out. It's going to be a good night. I know it's a school night. Won't go that late, but it'll be a good time. And they got crab cakes, beer and all kinds of good stuff there. So come on down. Until then, we'll talk to you next week and be safe, everybody. Thank you.